Hey, good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, Clint made it, didn't he? Well, he got mostly through. He's got half to go yet, but uh, but uh, he's he's struggling through. And I can really just tip my hat to Clint. I've been battling the, that same throat issue for about three weeks, and you're just always kind of on the bubble. And so, man, to have to sing, I can't even imagine what. And in the meantime, church family, let's take our Bibles and let's head for the book of First Peter. This time, chapter five of First Peter. We are in the last chapter in our study series through this amazing New Testament letter, 1 Peter chapter 5. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll be glad to share a copy of God's Word. So I think there's hands up here. So let's get some Bibles up this way. And if you'll reach into your bulletin, grab this little note page. looks like this. Grab that as well, if you wouldn't mind. And by way of kind of just a, a humorous story, it struck me as, as humorous, maybe because of what I do. But... Uh, Story goes about a, a Sunday morning in a small church in the south, and it was a young pastor's very first Sunday as the new pastor of this little church, and he had asked one of the elders, uh, an older gentleman, to lead the opening prayer for his very first service in the church. So the elder comes up to the front, bows his head solemnly, and says, Lord, I hate buttermilk. Pastor, whose head was bowed and eyes were closed, he looks up with one eye and looks at this this elder from the back and wonders what's going on. And elder continues, Lord, I hate lard. Well, now both the eyes of the pastor are open and he's wondering what in the world has gone wrong. The elder goes on, Lord, I ain't too crazy about plain flour either. But after you mix them all together and bake them in a hot oven, I just love those biscuits. He pauses for a moment. Lord, help us to realize when life gets hard, when things come up that we don't like, when the heat gets turned up and we don't understand what you are doing, help us to realize that we need to wait and see what you are making. After you get through mixing and baking, It'll be something way better than biscuits. Amen. <laughs> now, now, church family, I, I share this with you by way of kind of a, a lighthearted opening because it does two things that are going to connect us to the study of the book of First Peter and where we are right now in our study. We just finished chapter 4 last week. If you were with us last time, And if you were, you know that verses 12 to 19 of chapter 4 are centered on the subject of how Christians can practically and appropriately respond to the fiery trials of intense persecution that come when your culture, the culture that your church is in and that you live in, is hostile to any thoughts about God or about the Bible or about a savior whose name is Jesus. And and then and that culture then takes its hostility out on you because you believe those things. You believe the Bible. You believe in the God of the Bible. You believe in a savior whose name is Jesus. Now this old church leader, this this elder prayed, Lord, when the heat gets turned up and we don't understand what you're doing, help us to trust you knowing that you're making something really good. And that is exactly what Peter told us in the very last verse of chapter 4, in verse 19. He said, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, who are being persecuted for their love of Jesus, let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator and continue to do good. God's making biscuits. Trust him in the midst of that process. Now, the other reason that I shared that little story with you is because it is an elder who is praying in that little story, praying over a a church family. And though his prayer is framed a bit oddly, it's genuine, it's heartfelt, and in fact, it's spot on in terms of what he was asking for. 
It just so happens, church family, that elders in the local church come into Peter's view this morning. Therefore, they come into our view as we step today out of chapter 4 and into the first seven verses of chapter 5. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Verse 1, chapter 5. So I exhort the what? The elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And we'll stop right there. And as Clint prayed for us a moment ago, Lord, may we be doers of your word and not just hearers only today, especially with this little seven-verse section. So Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. Now, you might think, oh, he's talking to the senior citizens. You know, the elderly, of which I am now one of those. The word elder, I know it's a relative term, and there's others who are more elderly than me, but I'm moving in that direction. Just turned 63 a couple weeks ago. It's painfully aware, apparent to me. This word elder, though, it is a word that is sometimes used to describe those of a more mature vintage chronologically. However, that's not what Peter has in mind, of course, here. Peter's talking to a specific group of leaders in a local church. In fact, he, as we've learned as we've been studying the book of Peter, almost from the day we stepped into the letter, this letter was intended to be a circular letter that Peter was sending to perhaps dozens of churches in Asia Minor in the first century. All of these churches enduring Intense persecution in a culture that had no room for Christians. That's who he's writing the letter to. When Jesus' church is under attack like this, it is vulnerable. The flock of believers grow weary. They get tired of hurting, tired of being isolated, mocked, forsaken by their families, fired from their jobs, put into prison, and perhaps even losing their lives for Jesus' sake. And they say, I can't, I can't keep going. I'm done. I, I, it's too much for me. It's, it's too hard. And so Peter comes to this place here in chapter 5 and essentially says, the church needs quality leaders, elders, overseers, shepherds. All of the time, the church needs that kind of leadership but it especially needs those quality leaders when it is experiencing intense persecution then more than ever it has the greatest need for strong godly effective leadership the toughest times for the flock demand the very best from the shepherds and that's really where peter's going to go with us in this moment So he moves seamlessly right out of the fiery trials that the church families are enduring in chapter 4 to addressing what God's will is for the shepherds who are entrusted with caring for his people, the flock of God. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter says, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. And I just appreciate so much the tone of Peter as he calls himself here a fellow elder, even though he is like, man, the apostle, right? He's the guy 
the apostle. And, and he was there when Jesus was crucified and there that night before the cross in the upper room. And he saw it all. And he says to these elders, he says, we're in this together. I'm no better than you. I'm not talking down at you. I'm not looking down on you. We're in this together. We're all fellow elders leading God's church. We're going to taste the glories of heaven together. And so it's just this very humble kind of of approach as he talks with these church leaders. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, if you're somewhat new to the Christian faith and you're still learning how things work in this thing called the church, the terms elder and overseer and shepherd, those might not be very familiar terms to you. So let's, let's change that with just a little bit of a, a backstory and overview. Very quickly, very early in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit is, is given and the church is being born in Acts chapter 2, We almost immediately after that see the local faith communities, and that's really what IBC is, right? We are a local faith community of like-minded lovers of Jesus. We've gathered in this place called IBC. Almost immediately in the first century when the church was founded, we see those early churches, those local fellowships, identifying leaders to help guide the church. This begins with the apostles in Jerusalem. There arose a problem. It's described in Acts chapter 6. There were widows that needed to be cared for, and they didn't really have a vehicle for caring for them well. And so the apostles identify a a group of godly men who, who could take on that responsibility, and they effectively become the forerunners of the office or the role of deacon in the church today. By the time Paul writes 1 Timothy, Being a deacon was a recognized church position, a recognized office, a a special role in church leadership. The deacons lead in all of the serving ministries within the life of a local church. And in Jesus' hierarchy of what is valuable, he himself will say, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. And so if that is true, to be a deacon in the local church Man, that is a high and honored role. That's a special thing to be a deacon in the life of a local church. And here at IBC, we are profoundly blessed by our deacons, aren't we? By all those who serve behind the scenes, thankful to God for giving those deacons to our church family. But here in chapter 5, Peter isn't talking to deacons. He's talking to to elders. Now, where do they show up in the unfolding story of the church? Well, we find elders giving leadership and spiritual direction uh, by Acts chapter 11 to the church at Antioch. And then in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, Paul and Barnabas, we're told, appointed elders for them in every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. By Acts chapter 15, there there were well-established elders in the church in Jerusalem. And the apostles collaborate with those leaders to resolve a difficult doctrinal issue that could have split the church and presented a real problem very early in the story of the church. But they were able to maintain unity. And then Paul writes to a young pastor named Titus in Titus 1.5. This is why I left you in Crete, Titus so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And I would just ask you to notice, it's elders, plural, in every town, singular. Notice how Peter says in verse 1, elders, plural, and what's he saying? He's talking about a Uh, Not just one person leading. It's a plurality of leadership. Never just one person leading and directing the church. That's not the New Testament model. Now, perhaps you have been in the past in your church journey. You've been in churches where there was one guy who pretty much called all the shots. 
I would submit to you that that's not the biblical model for church leadership. Why is it important that it be a plurality, that it be elders, plural? Why is that so important? Well, for the same reason that in the Tour de France bike race, you race as a team, right? If you know anything about that race, teams race. Certain bikers are good on the flats. Others are great climbers. Others are, are, are great in support. Others understand tactics. And together, those riders are way stronger than any one of those riders is by himself. And they can accomplish a lot more. In Jesus' church, same principle. No one person has all of the leadership skills, all of the gifts, all of the insight needed to, to eld or oversee or shepherd the church but a plurality of godly men leading and working together in harmony, man, that brings much more to the table for the church. And so as you see there on your note page, whenever we see the words elder or overseer or shepherd, and Peter uses all three in verses 1 and 2, each of those terms refers to the same leadership role in a local church family. An elder is a recognized, affirmed leader responsible before God for the spiritual care, welfare, feeding, protection, and direction of a local faith community. All three of the terms that Peter uses in verses 1 and 2 refers to the same persons, plural, the spiritual shepherds entrusted with the lives, the care, the welfare of a group of people who are bound together by their shared love of Jesus. Just like this group right here, right now. Who's the head shepherd, church family? Jesus, absolutely. Peter will remind us of that in verse 4. He's the Lord of the church, Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. The people of the church, to carry the imagery forward, the people are the what? They're the sheep. They're the flock. And the elders are the under-shepherds who serve the flock and answer to the chief shepherd. All of that captured in verses 1 and 2. In fact, in verse 2, Peter says to these elders, shepherd the flock of who? God. We do not want to miss that. Why is that important? Well, it's a clear reminder certainly to every elder, overseer, shepherd, leader, that the church that they're caring for is not their church. It doesn't belong to them. They must never say, an elder must never say, this is my flock. This is my church. If we do say that, I think the church is in trouble right from the beginning. And it's a clear reminder to the congregation that they must never say, this is our church if that's what's being said that's probably a church that's in trouble ibc is god's church amen is right and jesus is its only head shepherd it's not my church it's not your church this church was bought with the precious blood of our Savior, he redeemed his church out of the world to present her to himself as holy and pure. Jesus says this in Ephesians chapter 5. It's God's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not our church. It's forever his. And we say amen and amen. And we're glad it's so. So I exhort the elders among you, Peter says, shepherd the flock. And when he says, I exhort, he is doing everything he can literally to shout right off of the printed page. This is a very strong imperative command. Elders, shepherd the church. And he's yelling it to these leaders. Shepherd the church. Don't be derelict. Don't be lazy. Don't be passive. You lead. You feed. You nurture. You protect. You oversee that local church family that the chief shepherd has entrusted to your care. Shepherd 
God's flock. Because when the elders are negligent, who suffers, church family? Who suffers? The flock suffers, right? You all suffer if the shepherds don't do what they're supposed to be doing. Your spiritual health is really at stake here in in terms of the quality of shepherding that's provided by the elder team of your church family, the under-shepherds of this church family. In this case, that's Nick and Lance and Josh and Bob and myself. At, At this time in the life of our church, these five elders shepherd this flock. You want the very best shepherds you can get, right? Because your spiritual welfare is at stake. As you might recall, if you have been with our church family for a little more than a year, it was about this time last year that I had a heart issue. You remember this? Yeah? And that heart issue that I had required a procedure where they were going to go into my heart through my femoral artery and through my neck, and they were going to burn cells inside of my heart. Burn cells inside of my heart while I'm alive and it's beating. That's what they want to do. And when I learned that that was the plan, I knew instantly that I did not want a plumber who wanted to enlarge his skill set and move from lead pipes to artery pipes doing that procedure on me. I didn't want that guy. Who did I want? I wanted the best, the expert in that field. I wanted a specialist who would be able to do that. I wanted a top guy to get in there and do that job. When it comes to the spiritual health of a church, the spiritual heart of a church, the more godly, the more spiritually mature, the more biblically grounded, the the more pastorally skilled, the more joy-filled, selfless, humble, tender, and loving that the elders are, the better it's going to be for the spiritual life of that church family. Agreed? Absolutely. Elders shepherd God's flock. Exhortation. And all of this prompts Peter to set out some qualities that should be present in every elder shepherd who cares for Jesus' church. And he's going to do this through a series of not this, but that. Descriptions that come out of verses 2 and 3. Not this, but that. Are you with me there on your page, your note page? Not this, but that. You there? Great, great. Peter's not intending to be exhaustive here in this moment, not laying out everything a church family should look for in their elders. For that, we would need to go to other places, build a more comprehensive list. I've included some of those other places on your note page, by the way, if you want some further study. But before we go there, let me just say this. Before we step into these not this but that thoughts, it would be terribly unfortunate church family if any of us here this morning were to think well I'm not an elder I'm not going to be an elder I will never be an elder this has no real relevance for me that would be terrible if anybody thought that because it would be absolutely not true these character qualities of church leaders that Peter's going to bring to our attention, they're just sketches from Scripture that we that, that are, are true for every godly, mature Christian, whether you're going to be in leadership in your church or not. These are just these are just things that we're all supposed to be doing. We should all aspire to the character qualities listed here and elsewhere for our church leaders, even if we're never officially going to be an elder. So this stuff has relevance. For all of us. So not this, but that. First, Peter says, not duty, but delight. 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Shepherd the flock willingly. God's not honored by half-hearted leadership. He's not honored by begrudging leadership. Jesus is not pleased with a, a joyless, well, okay, I guess somebody's got to be an elder. I guess I'll do it. That doesn't honor Jesus, does it? Psalm 100 verse 2, the psalmist says it clearly. Serve the Lord with what? With gladness, with a glad heart. Elder, don't walk around doing your elder thing looking like you were baptized in pickle juice. That doesn't do anybody any good. Wear the love you have for Jesus and the the joy you have at being called into this kind of service. You wear that on your face. You wear that in your actions, in your attitudes. We hear it in your words. Do you remember that poignant moment in John chapter 21 between Jesus and, of all people, Peter? After Peter had denied Jesus three times on the night before the cross, Peter had denied that he even knew Jesus. Very painful moment. He thought he had disqualified himself from any future involvement in Jesus' plan as a program or work or whatever was going to happen. He thought he was done. But Jesus wasn't done with Peter, and so he seeks him out. And in John chapter 21, there's this marvelous exchange between Peter and Jesus. It begins at verse 15. You know these words. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you what? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Talking to the other disciples, referring to the other disciples. He says to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my, what? Feed my lambs. Taking that imagery of the flock. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time. Oh, not a a coincidence, right? Three times denial, three times reinstatement. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus says, Peter, Care for my flock, my sheep, my lambs, my church, not out of duty, not because you have to, but because you what? You love me. You love me and you want to do this willingly. And so what what Peter's doing here in chapter 5, he's just passing on to these elders what Jesus had given to him. Serve because you love him. Not because you have to. Not under compulsion. And does this truth not apply to all of us, church family? Not just to elders. Are we not all called to serve in Jesus' church in some way? And over time, aspire to increasing levels of responsibility, not because we have to, but because we love Jesus. Is that not true? That's the truth, isn't it? If you're a Sunday school helper, having your mind openness to maybe move into a teaching role, ramp up your responsibility, be willing. Here I am, Lord, send me. If, if you're in a life group and you've been in a life group for a good long time, is it time not to just be in a life group anymore, but to actually be leading that group or a group? Not because you have to, but because you love Jesus. You love him and you want to serve him in that way. Should we not all? Be not just willing, but happy and privileged to serve 
the chief shepherd. No matter what it is we're doing. But here, elders and pastors especially should serve the flock of God with joy and with gladness and all the rest of us ought to be able to see that. Jesus said, if you love me, feed my lambs. Next, not selfish gain, but sacrificial service. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not for shameful gain, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. The Apostle Paul will include in both of his lists of elder qualifications a very similar requirement. In 1 Timothy 3, he must not be a lover of money. In Titus chapter 1, he must not be greedy for gain. Now, Paul will write in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And this and other verses teach that there is legitimate financial compensation for those whom Jesus has placed in what we might call a a more vocational role as a pastor elder. It's not that legitimate compensation that Peter is warning about, rather the, the illegitimate gain and the heart that loves and lives for money and is in a leadership role. That's what Peter's talking about. That's what he's concerned about. When money's the leader's motive, man, the church is in big trouble. It's in big trouble. You ever been in a church where that was discovered by a leader in a leader's life that he was doing something wrong with the money, mismanaging it and, and using it in some way, maybe criminally? We've all heard of stories like that. You might think, oh, oh, you mean the, the tele-evangelist back in the day who preaches the prosperity gospel, flies around in his private jet to all of his different houses. You're talking about that guy. Well, yeah, I guess we'd be talking about that guy. But what Peter more likely has in mind here is the rather average Joe elder leader who would use his influential role in his church's life as a possible means for financial gain or material gain. A leader who was an opportunist down deep in the darkest places of his heart where his motives are born, material gain is why he's leading. It's not because he loves Jesus or because he loves the people. He's fooled them. Peter warns against this. Every elder pastor is called to check their heart right here. Do I do what I do because of love for my Lord or I do what I do for personal gain that I might realize? Love for people or material promotion. Now, a sure sign of a false church leader is that they love money. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were the leaders, spiritual leaders of the community of of Israel. And Jesus rebuked them most severely for their love of money. Judas betrayed Jesus for what? For money. For 30 pieces of silver, he sold him out. It's often been pointed out that if you want to know where people's hearts are, all you got to do is look at what they do with their money. You'll know right where they're at, how they use their money, how they save their money, how they give their money away or don't. Faithfulness with personal wealth is a sign, a sure sign of spiritual maturity, both in shepherds and also in the flock. Jesus will say it like this, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, finish it, church. That's where your heart's going to be, wherever your treasure is. Not this, but that. Not selfish gain, but sacrificial service. And then Peter's third, not this, but that, verse 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Don't be Caesar, be Jesus. Not Caesar, but Jesus. Now, who was Caesar? Well, he called the shots in Peter's day. 
Caesar was all about position and power and fame and acclaim. Caesar was all about Caesar, right? Yeah. Jesus, though he's God, a very God, was the very opposite of that. In Mark 10.45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He served us all the way to the cross, dying for us, giving his life to bring us into his life. Jesus was all about serving. He wasn't about domineering. He was all about giving himself away, not promoting himself. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, Jesus says this to his disciples who are, by the way, going to be the very first leaders of his church. He says this to them. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that would be Caesar. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your what? Your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Not domineering, but serving. Jesus' style of leadership was always servant leadership. Always. It's all that Peter ever saw in those three years he spent with Jesus, following him around. All he ever saw was servant leadership. And so he passes on by way of a strong exhortation to the elders of the persecuted churches, be an impossible to miss example of that kind of leadership. Not Caesar, but Jesus. Now, nobody but Jesus does this perfectly, but the elder leaders of any church must embody this for the church family that they shepherd. They have to embrace this. If an elder team wants a church that is filled with servants who are glad to be servants then they must model this. They must be examples for the flock, Peter says, of this kind of leadership. It's a call to serve. Being an elder pastor might at times appear to some in the church as a maybe a rather enviable role, an upfront kind of a role, attention receiving at times, maybe, maybe even prestigious in the eyes of some to be an elder, pastor, shepherd. I would just say to anybody who thinks that way has never been an elder. (laughs) Because while this role comes with some rich blessing, it's hard. It's hard to be a a shepherd of a church family. In fact, I would say it's really, really hard. And all you got to do is ask an elder's wife, She'll verify that it's really hard sometimes. That's true, and that's true right now in a time in the American church and at IBC when intense persecution isn't even on the table. We're not even talking about leading a church through persecution. It's still really hard. Long meetings, late nights, plunged into painful crises, desperate needs, deep losses amongst the people of the church family at times, unity destroying threats and and doctrinal battles, and always, always, always engaging an enemy who is unseen and prowls around like a roaring lion looking to destroy the fellowship that you're caring for. And that never stops. And church family, while sheep can be wonderful and cuddly and and generous and easygoing, I'm telling you, they can also be stubborn and unruly and foolish and ungrateful. And sometimes they bite and their teeth are sharp. It's tough. And yet through it all, the elder shepherd carefully, faithfully, because it's God's flock, he loves them, he delights in them, he sacrifices for them, he serves them, he bears with them, and he's an example for them. Why? Why? 
because he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. And then if you flip your note page over, because as well, the head shepherd is what? He's coming back. He's coming back for his church. And what kind of a church will he find? When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Someday, and we have every reason to believe that day is is very soon, the Lord Jesus, the shepherd over all of the under shepherds of the church, is going to come back. We call it the believer's hope. Do you have that hope today, brother, sister? Do you have that hope? It could happen today, man. And, and when he does come back, Peter says the shepherd leaders of his church are going to receive an unfading crown of glory or of honor. Now, in the world of Peter's day, crowns were given. They were, they were olive branch wreaths that were placed on the head of the champion for victorious achievement. They didn't hand out medals. You didn't get a medal that you wore around your neck. You got a crown on your head made out of olive branch. Christians in the New Testament are promised crowns. Crowns of life, crowns of righteousness, crowns of rejoicing, crowns of glory. And all of them, every single time they're mentioned, they're imperishable. They never fade. They never wilt and fall apart. In truth, these crowns, I believe, are various features that are part of heaven. They're characteristics of of what eternal life is going to be all about. And every believer is going to receive a crown of one kind or another. And then we're told in Scripture, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, that we're going to take those crowns that we receive, and what are we going to do with them? Boom, we're going to throw them at the feet of Jesus, aren't we? That's what we're going to do with those crowns that we get. We're going to throw them at the feet of Jesus, for they were only made possible because of what he had done for us. So we just give them back. So Peter here in verse 4 is simply saying to the elders of these battered and suffering church families that their labor of love and their leadership in the most difficult of circumstances is not going to go unnoticed. It's not going to go unhonored. The chief shepherd knows, and he never forgets. And then before Peter is through here, he has a word for the flock. He's been talking to the elders. Now he wants to talk to the flock. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here we have the Holy Spirit through Peter saying, Shepherds, humbly lead your church family, and sheep, humbly follow your leaders. When a church has elders who lead with humility and a church has a church family that humbly yields to its leaders, man, that is a recipe for a healthy, happy, unified faith community that people want to be a part of. Peter starts out by urging the younger to be subject to their elders. Perhaps he starts at this point because... The younger tend generally, this is a general statement, to be a bit more headstrong, a little bit more enthusiastic. When you're young, that's kind of how you do. You just charge hard at times. Age and life experience tend to soften that and temper that. I remember as a young man, as a young pastor, (laughs) there were issues, man, that I got all amped up about And I would be frustrated that the older, more seasoned church leaders that I was with didn't see it like I saw it. And I thought that they were slow and they were passive and and they just didn't get it. You know, I'm the only guy who got it. But looking back now, looking back now, I would say, man, they were right. I was wrong. But that's what youth and inexperience does. And so Peter maybe starts there with that little thought. Hebrews 13, 17, though, it is such a timely and needed verse for the church in any age, in any circumstance. It goes like this. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Is that not what Peter is urging in verse 5? Very same thing. You know, I have to say that for me personally, this verse, Hebrews 13, 17, is one Bible verse that gets my knees to knocking. Knowing, knowing that, that one day I'm going to stand before Jesus and I am going to answer for, to him for how I have cared for this church family. Don't think that doesn't cause me to tremble. How I've cared for this church family for 36 years. For ill and for good. I'm going to stand before Jesus and answer for that. It's sobering. And it's a very real truth that every elder in a church steps into when they agree to shepherd a flock. When the flock humbly follows, not blindly, but humbly follows sound, responsible, biblically grounded leaders. Oh, what a joy that is for the leaders of that church. What a joy it is for the flock when that's the atmosphere. And yet, even as Peter begins with a word to the younger members of a church family, it only takes him an instant to include the entire flock. Clothe yourselves. What are the next three words? All of you. All of you with humility towards one another. All of you excludes who? <laughs> Nobody. No, we're all, we're all, we all get to do this. That word humble, it literally means lowly-minded it's an attitude held by a person in which they see themselves as, as never too good to serve and never too great to submit. I like what Tim Keller, a modern-day pastor, says about humility. He says, humble people do not have a low opinion of themselves. They have no opinion of themselves. To them... Only Jesus matters. I want to be that. Don't you? I want to be that. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, in this context in which Peter has been focusing on the elders, he may well be saying here, Persecuted church family, listen to me. You have elder shepherds who are caring for you. Don't be proud and resist them. Follow their lead. And in God's good time, he will let you know where you fit into all of that. He'll exalt you at just the right time. He'll put you into that place of leadership that he wants you in at just the right time. In the meantime, you humbly trust him. You trust your, your God because he's got you. He's got you. So before we make our way to the communion table and our morning comes to a close, I have a favor to ask you in light of all we've been talking about this morning. Every October, there is something called Pastor Appreciation Month. You familiar with it? Yeah. It's not a day. It's not even a week. It's an entire month. Pastor Appreciation Month. Now, to be honest with you, that whole thing is really uncomfortable for me. Honestly. I, I, it is. It's uncomfortable for me, especially because it really ought to be Elder Appreciation Month if it's going to be anything at all. That's what it ought to be. I'm an elder at IBC, but I am an elder among equal, other equal elders. Four elders presently who serve. Josh and Nick and Bob and Lance. And so here's, here's the favor I want to ask of you, church family. By way of application, 
of what we've talked about this morning. In your bulletin, you received a little note card, and it looks like it looks like this. You got that note card in your bulletin? There's a stack of them on the back table as well if you failed to get the note card. And, and, and would you... Would you this week be able to find just a few moments to drop one of these shepherds, Josh, Nick, Bob, or Lance, just drop them a note. These guys are keeping watch over your soul. And they're going to stand before God, before the chief shepherd, and they're going to answer for the way they have led you and cared for you and nurtured you and fought for you. Could you write them, just one of them, more than one if you want to get extra cards, that's awesome, but just write one of them a note of encouragement, a note of appreciation, a note of, of your awareness of what they're doing. And as you write that note, offer, them a prayer, offer up a prayer for them as you're doing that. In fact, on the back of your bulletin this morning, Connie has included a whole little paragraph about how to pray for your church leaders, and those guys' names are on that in that little paragraph. Write them a note. This is so simple. It's all self-contained. You just slap a little tape on it. You address it, put a stamp up here, and drop it in at the, at the post office. Couldn't be simpler. Now, Peter says these guys are going to get a crown of glory one day. They're going to get a crown of glory, but I am sure that they could use a note of encouragement before that. And, and can I just ask this also? Do not, please, do not write me a note. I get a whole month for crying out loud. Do not write me a note. Write one of these four guys. The chief shepherd has given us some wonderful elders, and by encouraging them, you are really honoring Jesus. So thank you in advance for doing that for them and for Jesus' sake. Let's pray together, church. Well, Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for your word and for the challenge that comes to us today. And thank you for just a, a timely reminder that, that a church family doesn't just happen, that it requires skilled, devoted, loving, imperfect, but willing shepherds to lead the flock and oh how i thank you for this flock lord humbly submitting to the leaders of this church making the role the work a joy so much of the time it's just joy it's also hard though may our brothers in jesus who serve in this shepherding role be encouraged as these notes flow in bless them and bless those who write the notes, Lord. Thank you for your church. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us our leaders. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.